When right-wing politicians and religious zealots spouting dangerous rhetoric and hot-button topics like immigration and gun safety are weaponized, we have to bring a little common sense into the conversations going on in America and around the world. Join Scott Fullerton and his guests and they stand on his soapbox and talk the truth as they see it and promoting the people, the places, and the things trying to make a difference. Now step on up and let's start talking. Well, welcome back, everybody. Joining me on my soapbox today, I have the privilege of welcoming a truly inspirational individual to our podcast. Robert Keston's in the studio with me. Robert is not only the executive director of the Stonewall National Museum Archives and Library in Fort Lauderdale, but his journey has won a profound impact and unwavering dedication. From producing an award-winning Holocaust documentary to champion human rights for all, and especially advocating for LGBTQ inclusion in schools, exploring family dynamics, and courageously facing anti-LGBTQ sentiments, Robert's work is a beacon of hope and progress and sharing that hope with others. His advocacy has not just changed lives, it's illuminated the path toward a more inclusive and compassionate world. Take a look. I'm Robert Keston, I'm Executive Director of Stonewall National Museum and Archives, which is one of the largest museums, archives, and libraries in the LGBTQ community nationwide. Over my shoulder is part of the 28,000 volume library, and I'm facing one of the exhibits that is now going on. And then around the corner is another exhibit. And then beyond that are the archives. And in the archives, we have well over 6 million articles that trace the history of the LGBTQ plus movement. I carry with me a pair of cast shoes that belonged to Eleanor Roosevelt reminding me that you always have to walk in someone else's shoes before you make any judgments. While in Sarasota, I was surprised that there was an opening here, and then I was offered the position and brought that human rights experience, that activism experience, uh, here to Fort Lauderdale and to Stonewall. The overall mission of the museum is to bring history to life to use history as a way of learning the lessons that help us not make the mistakes that we've made over and over and over again. By using history as a tool, by demonstrating where we did learn, where we didn't learn, and our agenda is to make sure that everybody's story gets told. Robert Kesson, welcome. How are you today, sir? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's a sunny day in Northeast Ohio in February, so I'll take it whenever I can. <laughs> you know how that goes. Um, welcome to the show and help uh, joining me standing on my soapbox here. I'm so excited to talk to you about your work here. Um, tell me what inspired you, though, to start with. You became involved and you did human rights advocacy for many, many years before you came aboard the uh, museum and archives a couple years ago. Talk about where this advocacy work began. Well, it began when I was a child, actually. Uh, I was startled at how little I knew as an elementary school student when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm. 
And I was dumbfounded to find out that there were pocket communities that surrounded where I lived that I didn't even know existed. And so I went and organized my elementary school and we raised money in support of a nonprofit organization that was based in one of these communities that neighbored ours that I was completely unaware of. And that's what started me doing it. And I was deeply encouraged by my parents to do what I was doing and to get more and more involved. And, and one thing led to another. And so I took time off from college and set up tenant associations in buildings in Manhattan. Um, and it's just been consistent that I was raised with the belief that we need to leave the planet better than we found it. And although that seems frighteningly impossible, uh, I still have it ingrained in my DNA that I have to try. I love that. Well, good on you for that. That's amazing. I'm glad your parents, we need parents like that to encourage all of us to kind of give back to the community and to encourage whatever advocacy they happens to be, whether it's for human rights, whether it's for women's rights, whether it's for, it all encompasses the same thing. So thank you so much for doing that. Let's talk about Florida a bit before we go into the archives. I mean, Florida, Tennessee, Texas, it all has its uh, more than fair shares of problems with our LGBTQ folks. Talk about the headwinds you face just going into that state. Well, one of the reasons that I even applied for the position here and took it was because it fits so well with the work that I had been doing internationally on human rights. And it seemed like, to me, it became very clear that if democracy wasn't saved in the United States, then not only would democracies fall around the world, but human rights goes with it because human rights does not exist in a vacuum that leaves democracy at the door. And, well said. And so this seemed like an important opportunity to take what I had been doing on a global scale and bring it back to the United States where it is absolutely essential that democracy strengthen, not weaken. And to some extent, and I certainly heard this as I traveled around the world, most democracies or many democracies feel that they will cease to exist if that bulwark of the United States promoting democracy and sustaining democracy domestically falters. And we learned in the last presidential cycle, just how fragile a democracy is, especially a democracy that is so dependent on a well-informed and activist uh, citizenry. Oh, very true and well said. I mean, in Florida, I mean, we all know Florida because of DeSantis and the Don't Say Gay Law, but it's got a history, right? We had the Johns Committee back in the day. We had Anita Bryant. Um, very strong parallels what we're seeing today. Uh, is history repeating itself, or what, what do you think is causing this, especially in Florida, since it used well, to be so purple? First of all, history doesn't repeat itself because all those elements are always there. Mm. It's only when we are complacent that they raise their ugly heads. So there's no small wonder that the language that was used by Anita Bryant, the language that was used by the Johns Committee, the language that has always been used in all 50 states and in the colonies before them 
is the same. Save our children, religious freedom. There's nothing new. Right. What has changed is that they are learning the lessons of history and they are not making the same mistakes as their predecessors. Mm. And that is why they get a little bit further each time. And on the other side, we believe that when we have an accomplishment, it's time to take a rest. And that allows all of that stuff to resurface. So it's not repeating because they come back usually better and stronger than they were before. And that information, that knowledge, that hatred uh, is always there. It's just, will society let it come to the surface or will society keep its head underwater? And now society has allowed it to rear its ugly head. So true. And it's like, it's amazing how quick the pendulum sp swings. It's like, I started this podcast in 2015, a week after marriage equality was affirmed by the court. And now it seems uh, eight years later where the pendulum's going the other direction. And it takes advocates to really push back against this, right? I mean, as you said, these people are learning. What are we learning as a community? Well, we've learned a lot as a community. Uh, the unfortunate thing is we do not have the pathways that others may have to share that information. So our history is not well taught in schools. Our advocacy groups, you have to find them. They aren't like the Red Cross where they're everywhere right. um, or the Girl Scouts, which are everywhere uh, or a church, which is everywhere. So therefore, for us to get information out to our community is much more difficult. And it requires work on the part of the community itself. Because unlike many of those other things, uh, religion, education, what have you, uh, there are normal channels. You are born into a religion. You are born into societal nationalities and whatnot. So if you're Irish American, you're Irish American. But if you're Irish American and gay, you have to go find your gay part. It's not there at church. It's not there in Catholic school. It's not there in the social things that your community or your family might be doing. That's why we call it a found family. You have to go and find it. But a lot of people don't know exactly how to do that or how to do it in a way that engages them in a community that has the information that they need in order to be informed and good citizens. So mm. for us, it's much, much more difficult. And like I said before, it's not mandated in many school districts across this country. And in fact, it's shunned. Our books are shunned. Um, our culture is shunned. And yet there are aspects of our culture that have become extraordinarily mainstream. But once they become mainstream, they almost become stolen from us. So they don't necessarily teach us what we need to know, but become a part of the national lexicon. Great points. I love all those. 
Well, let's get into the Stonewall National Museum Archives and Library. I love the mission statement. Uh, you're uh, a safe, welcoming place that inspires, promotes understanding through collecting, preserving, and sharing the proud culture of LGBTQIA people of all stories and their significant role in American society, which we touched on briefly. How did you find out about uh, this um, executive ship opening and uh Talk about getting the, the journey there. Well, um, I had a friend, I have a friend who told me about the opening and suggested that I would be right for the position. And I didn't think that it would ever happen. And so I didn't apply and he nagged. And ultimately I applied and through a long process of interviews, uh, was selected. And uh, like I said, for me, it was a continuation of the work that I was doing to a large extent and sort of felt like the last frontier, that this is a community that is targeted because the reactionary right feels that it is a weak link in the chain. And so therefore scapegoating this community or scapegoating elements of this community are make it easier to divide and conquer because they're not uniters, our enemies, they are dividers and they are right. stronger when they divide people by smaller and smaller and smaller groups who are unable to defend themselves. And what we have to do basically is strengthen those cords that unite us and remember that we are also in every other community. There's no place where you will not find someone from our community. Exactly. And that means we have walked in the shoes of everybody else, including those who denigrate us because we're there. Right. We know plenty of people who were anti-gay publicly and then sneaking around in the back. So we've walked those shoes in those shoes as well. So what we have to do is remind people that they love us, whether it's a brother, a sister, a cousin, a coworker, a parent, an aunt or an uncle. They love us individually. And we have to welcome them under the multicolored flag, the rainbow flag, because right. that flag really is a bridge to every community from our community where we already are. So that to me was why taking this job became so important. Changing the narrative a little bit and making us the bridge builders, making us the peacemakers, making us the purveyors of human rights globally, certainly nationally. And in doing all of that, saving our democracy because we need to be involved in order for our community to survive. Mm, very nice. And tell me about what was your um, what was your level of knowledge going into the position? I mean, you talked about very young, you learned about Martin Luther King. What was your LGBTQ history knowledge um, at the time coming into this? And what do you think you've learned since then in the last two years? Well, I, through the human rights work that I did, this always played an important role. So although I was not a gay professional or an LGBTQ professional, 
for all that time. I certainly worked with organizations and institutions and individuals. So it wasn't unknown to me. And I had done work as a consultant or as a freelancer or whatever for different LGBTQ organizations. I was involved with the AIDS, anti-AIDS movement. So it wasn't new. What was new is working in an archival situation. Right. Um, that was relatively new, although I had worked in research and, and, and other things periodically through a very uh, twisted career. <laughs> I love that. And I love the values of the library, freedom, creativity, and collaboration, equity, of course, professionalism, and service. And I think people forget the service element a lot of the time, what we need to do for each other is talk about those uh, four pillars you guys stand on there and how you try to bring those all to life. Well, we try not only to bring them to life by our exhibits, by welcoming people here, by allowing people the time that they need when they do come in and to make them feel that this is a home away from home. But we also expand on that. So we are on a massive campaign to expand our library to include women's books, books about people of color, the trans community, and all those communities that have been marginalized within our community. Right. Uh, we've also dedicated gallery space to the marginalized community within the LGBTQ world. And when that exhibit space terminates from that special program, those programs will then come throughout the entire museum, no longer marginalized, but part of mainstream LGBTQ community life. So we're hoping that this 18 month period that that space is dedicated will ultimately make our community, at least locally, recognize them not as marginalized, but a very exciting, interesting part of the mainstream community. Right. And you mentioned locally. I mean, you're based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, but you don't just archive locally, right? You you invite uh, pieces of archive from all over the country. I don't even know if you go outside the country to the world. Talk about what what are in the collections and what are you archiving? We archive just about anything and everything that pertains to the community, certainly nationally and tangentially things that come from elsewhere. But we are a national archive, which means that we collect nationally. So, for example, the city of Seattle sent us their full set of Seattle Gay News. So we have a complete set of the printed version of the Seattle Gay News. Someone who was president or chairman of the board of another archive, which will go nameless, um, donated his collection to us here at Stonewall because he wanted his materials to be in a national context, not in a local context. So we just got another shipment, 560 boxes of wow. materials from a couple in Iowa. So the national aspect of what we do is very, very important to us. And we believe it's important to the community because it gives a completely different perspective than when you're collecting things on a local level. That's amazing. And you talk about all the different things you do. You have these collections and exhibitions. I think I read about you're going to recreate the actual Stonewall 
uh, bar from what I saw. Is that something that's already been done or is that still happening? That will happen for June of this year, the 55th anniversary of the uprising. And on June 29th, which would be the early morning hours of June 29th, um, the late hours of June 28th was the beginning of the uprising. And we will be doing a reenactment on that day here at our location. So we know that there are civil war reenactments and um, revolutionary war reenactments, but to the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been a Stonewall reenactment. So we hope that that will become an annual tradition where our community will, rem will remember not where the first protest was, not where the last protest was, but the protest that catapulted our liberation movement into the forefront of history. I love that. And I love the way you say that, too, because I've talked a lot of times that history is kind of one of my things. We talked about the black cat was even before Stonewall in L.A. had a lot of uh, history as far as riots go. They were being raided all the time. And that happened before the Stonewall. And we have things still happening now. So I think that's so important. You guys also run some great programs. You get you do your own podcasting. I saw you've had Brandon Wolf, of course, who from Pulse Nightclub. You've talked to um, Chris Stan, who is or Stan Chris, excuse me, the amazing influencer, um, gay LGBT influencer on TikTok and social media. Talk about bringing those people in and the response you're getting. How do you kind of choose who you want to speak to? And uh, what your response has been to those? Because there's some great programs. I kind of listened to a couple of them. Well, usually, not exclusively, but usually it's someone who's written a book. Hmm. And we do inter we, um, interview authors because we're also a library and the world's largest LGBTQ library that I'm aware of and certainly the largest lending library. So we look for authors. We look for as diverse a field of authors as we can. And we try to do a number of interviews. We also bring in people that are able to share information. So as Stan Chris, because of his network, he's able to get information out. And right. that historic record, the importance of being engaged and knowing what organizations are serving your community, whether it's national or local, are all important. So those are the kinds of things that we look at and those are the kinds of people that we interview. And then it becomes a part of our archival collection and it is also found on our YouTube channel. That is great. Now talk about in your past 20 months there, do you have a particularly memorable event or moment or success story from the history of the library that kind of underscores the importance of the work? It would be hard to say one. Uh, I think that starting um, one of our exhibits called Standing on the Shoulders of Heroes is, is one that I'm very proud of and one that grows. So it's a living exhibit. So we have added several new people to this exhibit, but what it does is it starts with sort of the beginning of the liberation efforts with Frank Kemeny and Barbara Giddings, which was before Stonewall. Uh, and then carries us through to what's going on today. So the last person we added was Billy Porter, who is extraordinarily outspoken and totally oh, yeah. unrepentant in his belief that justice and equality and equity 
are vitally important for our community and every community. So it has about 15 panels, 16 panels now. And at our gala on February 24th of this year, we may add a new panel. We're unsure at this moment, um, but we want it to be a living thing that reflects both the historical record and also the current situations. Who are those people that don't have to, do not have to take the risk and do it anyway, because it's the right thing to do. And those are our heroes. I love that. And yeah, Billy is such has commonality and sectionality in so many different areas uh, of diversity and exclusion and inclusion. So such a great role model. I saw that he was part of your program a while back. What do you think strategies um, might be most effective right now in promoting LGBTQ inclusion in educational settings? We talked about book banning earlier. We talked, uh, I mean, we have Moms for Liberty. They were trying to infiltrate so many school boards for a long time. Hopefully that's kind of blowing up a little bit in their face. But uh, what do you think are some good effective strategies for getting inclusion within our educational settings? Well, we have an annual symposium, educational symposium called SNEP, Stonewall National Educational Project. And that meets in April. This year, it will be April 11th to the 14th. This is the 11th symposium. And getting information out, getting best practices out, finding like-minded people who you can meet with, talk with, learn from is the best way because we'll have, let's say, 300 teachers and administrators from all over the country here. They will then take that information back. If they're in a classroom, they're reaching upwards of 30 students per class that they teach. If they're part of their union, they're reaching hundreds or thousands of other teachers. So 300 people could potentially reach tens of thousands of people across the United States each and every year. That's one way. The other thing is we have really reaped a tremendous benefit of Hollywood representation in the last year. There have been some unbelievably good films, theater, music, uh, certainly uh, the Diana Nyad story about a lesbian swimmer not only a lesbian swimmer, but maybe the greatest long distance swimmer ever. Exactly. Whose partner, friend, also a lesbian, helped guide her to success after five attempts and 30 years from the first attempt to finally achieving the goal. Uh, that tenacity, it's important for our community to know that story. And that's and both those women, Jodie Foster and Annette Benning, who played their real-life counterparts, uh, are up for both SAG Awards and Academy Awards. Right. So getting that information out there is so wonderful because film captures the imaginations of people. And knowing that they're part of our community gives us an identity that is often different than what mainstream America or mainstream the world lets us believe is possible for us. That's so true. And, and I echo what you say about entertainment year. I am a part of the Society of Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association. So we do our own little um, 
we do a to- like our own Tonys, Emmys, and Oscars for from the LGBT perspective, and I get all the screeners and everything. It's like Academy, and it's been some amazing year for all these things. And uh, Rustin and Nyad, and like you said, so many great things out there, um, t- fellow travelers, and uh, uh, so much things. Um, and you talked a little bit about your gala you're having at the end of this month. I mean, you have Diana Nyad as one of your featured guests. I think that's amazing. Um, Stars of the Stroll from the HBO documentary. That's great. Stacy Ritter, who does such great things for you guys in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And then I'm a particular fan of Xander. Um, I watched both his speech when he was in high school and his uh, school board takedown. Um, so an amazing group. Talk about that the importance of fundraising to the library, because I'm sure that's a lot to take on to take care of all these things. I don't think that people understand just how expensive an archive library and museum are. Hmm. And we're not always considered the sexiest things within the community, (laughs) you know, AIDS walks and those kinds of things uh, still get, the majority of attention, the majority of newsprint, and mm-hmm. the majority of dollars. Um, so do the arts, the choruses, and the other kinds of things that are visible and somewhat sexy. We are not necessarily in that league, and we do not get the ancillary sales and income that a lot of these other organizations get with ticket right. sales or money from Uh, pharmaceutical companies and the like, but it is very costly. And I don't think that people understand the importance, the singular importance of preserving our history and preparing the kind of curricula that could get into schools and universities and to be able to be a resource for people who are writing the books fiction, nonfiction, history, so that those books are out there so that every generation, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, have access to the important things that our community has contributed to the world. Without that, we will definitely fall prey to the vultures who are waiting for us to slip up, waiting for us to make a mistake, waiting to catch us prove that we are who they say we are rather than continue to prove that we are who we say we are. And so a contribution to an organization like Stonewall lasts a lifetime because it turns into archival collections, libraries, outreach, exhibitions, all the kinds of things that are we understand as being vitally important in the mainstream world. We expect museums of natural history. We expect art museums. We expect all of those kinds of things, yet we don't want to fund it within our own community to the level that it needs to be funded in order to be effective because we don't get the resources that the mainstream things get. The Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York gets an awful lot of money from New York. Right. We do not get a lot of money from Florida, I can assure you. <laughs> that I believe. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I'm glad you said that. And uh, I tell people we'll give everyone the website at the end so they can talk about donating and they can see the gala and everything if they happen to be in the area. But uh, let's talk about I do in my uh, interview show. I do five questions with I call it, which are five kind of questions I add at the end of the interview that are a little fun and topical for here on standing on my soapbox. I like to try to do five takeaways with. So I want to try to get five takeaways from you. First off, talk about the importance of preserving our LGBTQ history. Well, like I said, if we don't do it, then we run the risk of being defined by others. The worst thing that we can do in our society is be in uninformed. We can't argue our points. We can't say who we are. We don't know where we came from unless we know our history. And we know how important that is when someone runs for office. We know how important that is when someone is doing research. We know how important that is when we meet someone and they can tell you, well, my family goes back to 1490, you know, 1400s in Spain. And then we came over on the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria and we settled here and we did this and we did that. That knowledge of who you are really helps you find your footprint on this planet. And that's why saving, preserving, protecting and sharing that information is essential. It's not a luxury. And too many people think that it is a luxury right now. No, very true and well said. Uh, to that vein, what are maybe the top three things you recommend to people that might not be too familiar with the LGBT history to really kind of uh, start their their journey with? What was, I mean, Stonewall obviously is important. What's, what's two or three things that you would recommend people kind of look into the history of our LGBTQ culture? Well, one thing is certainly to read. It doesn't matter what you read. Read a history. Read something that is written by a respected LGBTQ writer. That's one. Another is make sure you read an LGBTQ-focused newspaper or magazine. There's Out Magazine, there's The Advocate, there are the local papers and magazines um, all across this country. Many of them are available online. S some of them still are in print and are accessible either through the mail or at a local store, uh, being informed on what's going on now is also important. And third, volunteer and donate to either a local or national organization that serves the community so that that strength continues going forward. Very good. And you talk about now, what in your opinion now is maybe the top two or three things that are in danger right now that we really need to have our eye on the, our eye or focus on? Well, the number one thing is, will we preserve our democracy? Uh, in that sense, it is more important to our community than it is to others because we are marginalized. And when democracy is gone, marginalized people become even bigger targets. So preserving democracy, getting involved is vitally important. The things that we're likely to lose are every right that we have fought for for now 55 years 
because we're uninformed and because we're not engaged. Right. If democracy stays, no matter who becomes president, no matter who takes office, our rights will be preserved because we have the organizations in place to fight for them. And people are out. It's not like 1969 or 1950 when everybody was hiding. People are not hiding in those numbers anymore. And therefore, it becomes much, much more difficult to push us back in closets. But that fight must be there. We don't have the luxury of letting that be taken away from us. And then the third thing that we run the risk of losing is a certain sense of identity if we don't act communally. And so we still as much as we have to integrate into the rest of the world and pull the rest of the world into our world, we still have to maintain what makes us unique and special and mm-hmm. celebrate it. Yes, indeed. All right, and the last two takeaways I'd like you to share with us, Robert, talk about maybe um, how to or maybe the best way to be an LGBTQ advocate and how to be an LGBTQ ally. Well, I'm not particularly fond of the word ally. I think that we need friends and we need family. And you gave a perfect example just before Stacey Ritter, who is a straight woman who happens to be the president of the uh, Visit Lauderdale um, Travel and Tourist Bureau. Uh, So she does this not because she has to, but because she feels like family. Hmm. She feels a part of the community without being a lesbian. And therefore, because it's love, she does things with us, for us, and in partnership, because not only does she know it's right, but because it's love. And that's the important thing is, how do you bring people in, not to feel an allyship, but to feel that they're you're part of their family? And how do we get people from our own community uh, or how can you as a community member, uh, as I said, volunteer and donate, go to events. Many, many events in our community are free and you really learn an awful lot when you go. And also very importantly, go to community events that focus on people who are not like you. If you're not trans, go to a trans event. If you're not black, go to a black, gay, or lesbian event. If you're not whatever, find programming about those who are marginalized within our community and bring them into the mainstream. Bring the mainstream to them. Let them know that they are welcome and you will feel much empowered by befriending people who are really doing the work because they have to, because they have no choice. As white gay men, we have a lot more luxury to sit back. Uh, Not all of us are rich, not all of us are um, elite, but we still carry a certain amount of luxury uh, that others do not necessarily share. So by investing yourself in those communities, making your 
itself a part of those communities, you make our community as a whole much stronger. There you go. Robert Kesson, I really appreciate you standing on my soapbox with me today. Again, Robert is the executive director of the Stonewall National Museum, Archives, and Library in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Robert, let my listeners know where they can find your fantastic website for your programs and to donate and so many other things there. It's all at stonewall-museum.org. Fantastic. Well, stay on the line for me, Robert. I appreciate you guys. We appreciate you standing on our soapbox with us, listening to this. It's so important to be involved in our LGBTQ community. We're going to be bringing issues like this and equality and human rights every Friday here on the Left is Straight Podcast Network. We'll see you next time, everyone. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us as we stand on our soapbox this week. Tune in every Friday for more straight talk about issues we care about. Be sure to follow Left of Straight Podcasts and give this a thumbs up on YouTube or a five-star rating on iTunes so other can find us. Have a great weekend.